Trust in God and God will make your path straight and in all things and everything, lean on God for your understanding. Please be seated. It's a sign of the times that we are more like first, first century Jerusalem than we think. In this story, we, had some, we have some strange bedfellows together. We have the Pharisees with the Herodians. And even the Sadducees are joining with the Pharisees to kind of um, gang up on Jesus and to hold him to account. It's kind of like the most left labour person and the most right liberal person coming together to hassle Jesus and find out what he thinks about political views. It is not the way they would normally relate. But yet, when Jesus is around, when the gospel is around, those that oppose the gospel and those that oppose Jesus will make groups in order to, in order to allow Jesus' words not to prosper and for the gospel to remain silent. Even in our, in our times today, where we speak truth and light about the freedom that comes from the gospel, we have various people telling us what the gospel is telling us, telling us how to interpret the gospel, telling us what the gospel is saying. And yet, like Jesus says in today's reading, they neither know the words of the scriptures nor do they understand the power of God. For Jesus, the scriptures were not the New Testament and the Old Testament. For Jesus and first century Jerusalem, the, te- the scriptures were the scrolls, the Torah and the words of Isaiah, the words of Daniel, all the scrolls that were containing the words of the Old Testament. They were the scriptures. The book as we know it today, the scriptures as we know them today, didn't come out till about 300 years after Jesus passed away. So when Jesus talks about the scriptures, he's talking in a Jewish tradition. He's talking about the way they see the scriptures from their Jewish tradition. So what does he say to them? They, they come to trap him about the idea of paying taxes because the occupiers were taking taxes that were due to the temple. And they had, even on top of that, they had insulted the Israeli nation by putting an image of their emperor. And if there is an image of an emperor, that means Rome is putting an image of their god on the coin. They, because the emperor was also one of the gods on earth. And so the Jewish people are holding these coins and saying, well, what do we do with it? Do we pay taxes? Do we not pay taxes? We're actually using these coins that are going to a foreign power, but not only that, we're touching the image of a God that isn't part of our tradition. And so they, confl- they conflate the scriptures into the law, saying, well, what does this mean for us? How does this defile us? How can we worship in the temple? And so they ask Jesus, what's your opinion? And he uses a clever word, he uses the word image which refers back to the biblical text that they were used to, which refers to Genesis. Now, the image of Caesar was on something that was neither created or made by Caesar. If it was gold coins, they'd simply found the gold, melted it and put the image on and shared it amongst themselves. So Jesus is saying, well, whatever Caesar has got from the earth and and you're using now, well, you just give it back to him. It's not like he has done anything special to attain that. So there is no tribute in that process. 
you're not actually acknowledging a God because the God didn't just say, there's, there's the gold, use it. They had to find it and refine, find it and refine it and then use it. So when we look at the word image, it's just a stamp on an object. But then if we look at the word image as the way Jesus uses it for what we give back to God, well, what do we give back to God? Where is God's image? You. Looking around, look at, just turn around and have a look around at the people around you. We are the image of God. We were created. We were made. We were brought into existence by the word of God. So when, it, when Jesus says, give back Caesar, what's, he's just talking about a commodity. But when he says, give to Caesar what's due Caesar and God what is due God, he's saying that you are due back to God. You are God's own. You are the one that God created and loves and wants to be and wants to bring you back to heaven. And we know that because after this we see Jesus dying on the cross for us to return us back to where we were meant to be. And so as people who are the people of God, what do we give back to God? And when I read, and I'm just finding the reference because I'm not a walking concordance, some of my brothers and sisters who are priests will tell you, you know, such and such passage. But in Micah, I think it's uh, chapter 8, verse 5. What does God want from us? He wants us to walk humbly and to love him and to cherish him and to serve him. He doesn't want us to be a commodity. He doesn't treat us as a commodity. He treats us as people who are devoted to his glory in the same way that we read the passage from Moses. We all want to see God's glory we all want to know what God looks like. We, want, we would love a thunderbolt to come in front of us and Jesus to be there and for us to see Jesus and to know, yes, in concrete terms, you exist. But yet, by looking at the image around us, every single person as I look around, do you not see the face of Christ? The person that was there at the beginning of creation that made you. And so... When we give back to God what is due God, well, you're due back to God. You were created, you were born, you were brought into the world, you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, well, you're, you're back to God. You, every single one of you. And so when we look at things in the resurrection terms, as Jesus now is a now he's been questioned by the Sadducees, who, again, were strange bedfellows because when you look at the um, Sanhedrin, they were always on opposite sides of the temple. They couldn't sit next to each other. If you're a Pharisee, they just were completely opposite in their, in their religious beliefs. And we see that in the denominations of our Chris, Christian churches where if you're a particular Christian and uh, another, you just won't sit together. So we have that now. And so what does Jesus say about the resurrection? What does he say about us being here on earth? Well, he says, heaven isn't like what we experience here. There is no division based on gender, sexuality, based on colour, based on whether you can talk a different language or not. 
There is no basis for a VCE mark to separate people from God or, or from, from heaven or from, or from earth. These are divisions that we create. What Jesus says is that everyone exists in fellowship together like the angels. And here he does it by, by taking the, what the Sadducees have said and, interpret, and getting their words and interpreting it back to them in a simple way. I am the God of the living, not the God of the dead. So when the scripture says, I am the God, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, it implies I'm not the God of the previous Abraham, Jacob. He's saying I'm the God. they're alive. So for us, as we live our gospel values and as we live our gospel life, we are one foot in heaven and one foot in earth. We know what it means to be in fellowship. We love fellowship. We love being with each other <coughs> and treating each other with respect and dignity. But on the other hand, we, have, we live in this world that has divisions, boundaries, borders. If you ever, you know, watch a state of, state of origin game in New South Wales, well, you're, you see the New South Wales versus the Queensland. They're, they're quite parochial. But yet, in our fellowship with God, there is no division. There is nothing that separates you from God. And there is nothing that anyone can tell you that separates you from God. We are convicted by Jesus Christ. We are one with our Lord God. And so, like the angels, we go to heaven to be with our Lord God and to sing praises and to live in his glory. Unlike Moses, when we are in heaven, we will be able to see the face of God. We'll be able to see each other's face filled with the glory of God. And by the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, we won't die. So, as we read the scriptures today and as we try and understand the scriptures today... What can we take forward? How can we use our understanding of Scripture and understand our, our, the Lord's power? Well, something that's very clear in the Scriptures is that God's sovereign actions exist. The Scriptures is full of actions that God had based on his momentary decision in God's wisdom to have an action on earth. We see that when he... Gets the, gets the skull of a donkey to talk to someone. We see that when we have messages sent to us. We see that in St. Paul's conviction as he wrote, goes to Damascus where Jesus blinds him and he's present to him. So the scriptures should clearly tell you that God can act in a sovereign way. So we pray that God acts in a sovereign way. We, I constantly pray that we have a Pentecost one year and we have 3,000 people that just come, like St. Peter did, just come and get convicted and start coming to church. Because God can do it. He, God did it once. Why can't that happen again? Because our faith might be a bit, oh, will that happen if I pray? Oh, Lord, I don't want to pray. But we can do it. So the scriptures tell us clearly that God can act. And God can act in ways that the Bible cannot contain. There will be another chapter, there will be another story, there will be another thing that God does that maybe if you look through the Bible, we can't, we've never seen it before. But yet the scriptures are very important to us because they help us 
test what is happening, help us understand what is happening. Because remember, Satan knows the scripture as well. Satan was quoting scripture to Jesus in the desert. Satan can do actions by his spirit. So we have to look at the nature of what is happening in our community, what is happening in the world, to understand what is, what, whether it's God or whether it is from a, different, from a different power. And so I would ask you to keep praying for places of war because Satan is having a great time dancing around in those people's lives. I would keep praying, I would ask you to keep praying in situations where you know there's family arguments because Satan is having a great time walking around in those spaces. I would keep, ask you to keep praying for people that share, have doubts or people that worry or people that have anxiety, for relationships that have pressure on them, for yourself that you are protected. These are all important things. And so when we read the scripture today, and I had an image, what is, what is Caesar's, what is God's? Well, the things that are on earth that are refined and used, well, that's for the earth. So we use it. You know, the Australian government's got a tax, so we pay taxes. But one thing that we are not is a commodity. Whilst the world might tell us that we are, and that we can trade people in some countries, people are even traded as a commodity. We are not a commodity. We are God's creation, and the image that we have is of God. So let's give back to God what is God. And where we see someone struggling and, and finding their faith journey difficult, let's make sure we speak into that so that we can be part of that process of returning things to God. I, I am your licensed priest. I am here to be the priest in this parish. But I also believe in the priesthood of all believers. Each of us has a role to speak to someone that might not fully comprehend how they are the image of God. So this week... If you have a chance to speak to someone about their doubt, worry and anxiety, I would encourage you to speak into that. And as we read today, we know the power of God will be with you in all that you do. The Lord be with you.